Well, good morning again. I'm Doug Hickson, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm pastor of Connection Church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, if you'll slip your hand up, there's some people who'd be glad to bring a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take this one home as our gift to you. We love giving away copies of God's Word. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. So as you find your way there, I just want to say thank you. Uh, uh, many of you have been uh, volunteering your time uh, to our new work in Belfouche. We are excited. Uh, we are just now a few days away uh, from uh, opening a church there, and uh, we'll be doing services there on Sunday nights at 6. And so if you know somebody who lives in Belfouche or the area who uh, would like to join us there, it'll be the same service here as it is there. And so uh, they can join us and be a part of that. Uh, thank you so much for many of you who've been putting uh, in your volunteer time. Uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears going on over there, and so uh, we're excited about that. But we're not done yet, and so if you uh, have some extra time this week, we're trying to finish everything up and get some of the projects finished to be able to open the doors in there next week. So if you have some time this week that you can help us with that, uh, we would love to have you volunteer to do that. I also want to encourage you uh, to think about giving one or two Sunday nights a month to uh, volunteer to help get that new work started. Uh, we need some people to kind of help do what has happened here. And uh, so if you'd be willing to uh, uh, volunteer your time uh, over there, that would be great. We're expecting great things. We've done about three block parties in the city over there and, and knocked on every door in town twice. And so we're excited to see what God will do with that. And we're really praying that not only God will do a work here in Spearfish, but that we might see some people come to know Christ in Belfouche. And so you keep that on your prayer list. And if you've got some extra time to help us with that, we would love for you to be a part of that. Last week, we looked at the first uh, portion of Exodus and we looked at the story of Moses where God called Moses to be the voice and the leader to lead his people out of captivity and into uh, the promised land. Now, Moses uh, was not really a willing participant. Moses wanted God to choose somebody else. And he asked God to move on down the line and to, to do that with somebody else. But God said, I've called you. And so we, we talked about the fact that when God shows up in your life, that he, his presence demands our attention. So God showed up to Moses in a burning bush that did not burn up, was just his presence. And God spoke to Moses. Moses. And uh, so that's kind of where we picked up uh, the uh, story last week. Today, I want us to, we're, we're going to take a, a quick run through several chapters. And I know that those seats are comfortable, but I don't want to scare you. We are going to try to work through about six or eight chapters today, but it won't take nearly as long as what you think, because I'm not going to preach at all. Okay. Can I get an amen? All right. Amen. I mean, there you go. All right. So, uh, but if you'll look at chapter two, the people of Israel, God's people seem to be facing an insurmountable problem. They were in captivity to a Pharaoh that worked them very hard, gave them very little freedom and gave them no hope. And so they cried out that God might set them free. And in Exodus chapter 2, I love what this says because this brings uh, confidence and hope for us. 
It says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says that God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Can you, can you listen to me for just a moment and hear that God cares about where you are? God knows your needs. He hears your cry. And he is ready and willing to deliver you. In Exodus chapter 3, God reiterates what he has already said. And, and in verse 7 He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them out to a a land filled with good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the otherites. In other words, God said this, not only am I going to deliver you, but I'm going to give you a land that you could only dream of. Now that sounds amazing. But then in verse 19, there's a little bit of a discouraging word if we were just to be honest. It says that you're in captivity. Verse 19, he says, but I know the king of Egypt. and He will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. What he said was, it's not going to be easy. Can I tell you about my walk and yours? God never promises that we won't walk through tough days. He just says you won't be alone. So for some of you in here today, you're walking through some tough times. And I wish I had the verse that says that God will snatch you out of that and you'll float on a cloud and nothing will ever go wrong. But what I do know is this, that when you walk through that dark valley that God is with you you. He promised his people he would do that, and he will do that for you as well. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, you would think that with everything Moses has been through, that he would get it. He saw God in a burning bush. God spoke to him. God gave him his resume. He said, I'm the the God of your fathers. I'm the God of the history that you know. I am the miracle maker. I am the I am. I am the only God. And you would think that that would click for Moses, but Moses keeps coming back with questions. And and I want to encourage you that when you're going through those tough times, do not be afraid to ask God those questions because my God, your God, is big enough to handle any question that we have. And so Moses comes to God, and, and, and really he, he's got a lot of doubt. He, he doesn't understand what, how God's going to work all this out. I, I hear, God, that you want to deliver your people, but why make it hard? And who am I? I, I I'm not equipped for this job. And God says, Moses, uh, what I want you to do is I, th- I want you to throw your, your staff to the ground. And when he throws his staff to the ground, it becomes a snake. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think the only good snake is a dead snake. So Moses and I are in the same camp because when it became a snake, he took off and went the other way. If you're with me and we see a snake, I'll be in the truck, okay? I'm I'm not out for that, all right? Moses went to run away and God said, don't. I don't want you to run away. I want you to pick it up. 
Now, where I grew up, people who picked up snakes, not running on a full tank of gas, okay? They're, it's not okay. Mama told me, don't do that. That's pretty good advice. I know some of you say, oh, but there's good snakes and they do good things. All right, you can sort them out. I'm still in the truck, okay? But when God said, pick it up, it became a staff again. Why? Because God wanted to prove to Moses that he was God over all things. So he says, I'm not done yet. Moses, you still don't believe me. Stick your hand inside your coat. And when you do that, you will see my power. He sticks his hand inside. He pulls out his hand and his hand is covered in leprosy. It's covered in a disease that would kill. Before Moses could freak out, God said, stick it back inside your coat and I will heal it. And he pulls his hand out and it's clean. You know what Moses, uh, God was saying to Moses? I am the God over all creation and I can do whatever I want. You obey me. You become my voice. You do what I tell you to do and I can take care of the details. Now you would think that Moses is going to get it. You would think that Moses is ready to take on the world. But then if you look in verse 13 of chapter 4, Moses said, God, would you just send somebody else? I mean, really, I mean, you, you, do you know who I am? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what I've done? God, could you just send somebody else but me? And the Lord's response to him is this. You shall speak to the Pharaoh and I will put words in, in your mouth and he will, he will hear my message. Verse 16, he shall speak for you to, excuse me, he's talking of Aaron. He will speak for you to the people and he shall be the, he will be the words of your mouth. In other words, Moses said, you got to send somebody else. I can't speak well. Many, many people thought that Moses had a stutter, that Moses didn't communicate well, but God said, I'm not letting you off the hook with that either. You got a brother, Aaron, Aaron can speak for you. I will talk to you, Moses. Moses, you tell Aaron what to say. Aaron will be the spokesperson. Aaron will be the one who takes care of that. You see, Moses was trying to get out of this, but the thing is that God's plan never fails. Would you say that with me? God's plan never fails. All right, now wake up. I know the seats are comfortable. Say it again. God's plan never fails. You see, God was not off course. God never, di he never dials a wrong number. He never makes a mistake. He was right on course. But then if you look at verse 21, the verse that kind of sets Moses even farther back in his mind, he said, but I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Now, I don't know about you, but if God's speaking to me and he's talking about somebody we're about to conquer, what I want to hear him say is that he's going to make it easy. But what God says is I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Now, why does he say that? Because that's very interesting because we expect something completely different. It's this, God is sovereign over all the earth. We've talked about that for the last several weeks, that God is in control of all things. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. There's nothing that is out of his control. There's nothing that he cannot do. And so God said, listen, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. I have a plan that is not going to fail. And I'm doing that because what I want to do is I want to prove to Egypt that I am, I am. I am the only God. I am the only one that you need to worship. And I'm going to prove that to the people of Egypt. And I'm going to prove that to my own people. When all of this is done, when everything is said and done, you're going to know 
that I am God. Now in Exodus chapter 5, Moses finally gives in and he says, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to do what you say. So if you look in Exodus chapter 5, it says that uh, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and they said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast for me to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Now, this is very interesting because Pharaoh knew that they served a different God than him. And when Moses stands up and says, now, listen, I know like we're your slaves. I know that, you know, we do all your work for you, but we would like to take a vacation in the wilderness, okay? And what we need to do is you need to let us go. We're going to have a feast to our Lord. He says you should let us go. And Pharaoh goes, who is your Lord? I don't, I don't worship him. I don't honor him. I don't come under his authority. Verse 2, I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. If you jump down a few verses, in verse 4, The Pharaoh says, in fact, why don't you guys get back to work? Why don't you get back to the things that you're supposed to be doing? Get back to your burdens. Get back to the slave labor that I have you here for. And in fact, as he's done with Moses, he pulls in his uh, people in charge of the work. And he says, okay, these people, they have too much time on their hands. They're making bricks to build our empire And normally what we do is we provide straw for them to make bricks. They've got too much going on. Uh, Excuse me. They've got too much free time. So now we're not going to provide the straw. They've got to go gather the straw and make the bricks. And we'll see if they have enough time to go take a vacation in the wilderness. Now, when that work came down, can you imagine how popular Moses was? Okay. Can you imagine what his coworkers were thinking? What, what the people of Israel, oh, thanks a lot, Moses, for going to see the Pharaoh. You're really cool. Now we have more work to do. Now it's harder than ever. Now you've made it worse. How do we know that all went on? Look at the end of chapter 5. Moses turns to God and he cries out, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses said, God, if you've got a plan, I don't understand. I don't get it. You said you're going to set us free, and now we're in a worse situation than we were before. You want me to lead your people out, and now they're ready to string me up. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? Look at chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. God never lost sight because God's plan, what? Never, you guys are already asleep. Poke your neighbor. God's plan, what? Never fails. God's plan never fails. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now you shall see, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, 
Uh, but by, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people. In other words, I've not forgotten the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem uh, you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give for you, uh, give to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now look, this is interesting though. Look at verse 9. Moses spoke this to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. Listen. You know what's changed in our world today? Nothing. That even though God wants to redeem our state, our city, our nation, the people will not listen because, oh God, the economy is bad. Oh, I've got problems in my family. Oh, I have all these issues and they are very real. But here's what I want you to understand. God is in control of all things and he wants to redeem us. And he wants to bless us. And he wants to take us to heaven when we die. But listen, we spend so much griping about the moment that we cannot see the big picture that God sees. The people of Israel were in the same place. And Moses said all this and they didn't want to listen. Verse, look at chapter 7. And so uh, Moses and Aaron, they decide, listen, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and do what God says and we're going to go before Pharaoh again, and we're going to ask to be set free. So look at chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Lord says to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. In other words, you are my spokesperson. You are my voice. I'm going to speak to you. Aaron is going to relay the message. Verse 2, you shall speak all that I commanded you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to the people of Israel out of this land, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. In other words, you got to stick to the plan because my plan never fails. God's plan never fails. You're going to speak the word. The, the plagues are going to come. There are going to be some signs and wonders that I'm going to do. But you need to understand it's going to only come in my time by my plan. In verse chapter, excuse me, in chapter seven, verse Verse 8, and so uh, Pharaoh was presented with the offer. Hey, let my people go. I, I'm going to set them free. I, I want you to set them free. And Pharaoh says, no, he, he hardens his heart. And so God says, all right, you want to play it that way? Then here we go. And now what, what we're about to see are 10 plagues on the people of Egypt that God brings about. And, and they're horrible. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting your people go. And Moses says, all right, uh, the plague number one is that we're going to take away your livelihood. 
We're going to take away your life. The Nile River was where life happened in Egypt. They got water from it. They got fish from it. It was, it was a way that they did trade. And, and God said, all right, you want to play with me? I'm going to turn the water into blood. Now, that's kind of gross, okay? Kind of weird. Not only did they turn the water into blood, God turned the water into blood, but it killed all the fish and the fish began to rot. Now, you would think that when, when they did something like this, when God did this kind of a, a, a curse on them, that Pharaoh would say, hey, I'm not going to mess with this anymore. I'm just going to set you free. But if you look into, at the end of chapter 7, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Chapter 8, the plagues keep coming one after another. God, Some of this shows me that, that God's really got a sense of humor. I mean, the next thing he does, he said, all right, you want to play? Then I'm going to fill your land with frogs. Frogs, for real? I mean, that's just an interesting thing to me. Why would God choose frogs? Everywhere you look, there's frogs. Frogs, you're stepping on frogs. You're, they're, they're in your food. They're in your house. They're in your bed. Everywhere you look, frogs. And then he goes from frogs to gnats, from gnats to flies. And, and God just keeps it going. Every time there's a plague, Moses, Moses and Aaron go in, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. Then there's a plague. Then there's flies all in the land. There's gnats all in the land. And God just keeps it going. The, the promised release uh, doesn't happen. Pharaoh says, hey, I'm going to let your people go. Then he changes his mind. I'm not going to let your people go. His heart stays hardened. Same song, different verse. Uh, plague after plague. The livestock, or, uh, livestock are killed. Then he puts boils on people and on animals. And so everybody's got sores on them. They keep going back and saying, let my people go. I'm not going to let your people go. And so then he, he brings a hailstorm. And what's interesting about the hailstorm is that it doesn't affect anybody but the Egyptians. Okay, the people of God are in the land. They don't get any hail. The people of Egypt get land, get, get hail on their land, and not only destroys their crops, but it kills their animals, and it even kills people. If you've ever been in a hailstorm uh, and and seen hail, it takes a pretty good size of hail to knock you out and kill you. So I mean, this isn't like pea-sized dent your car. This is like put something through your roof. Okay, and God is raining down all of these things. Uh, darkness, all of the plagues that come. And through all of that, Pharaoh kept saying, no, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe that, that he is Lord. I'm going to worship my own gods. If you do your research, what God has actually done with each one of these plagues is he's torn down a God that they worshiped. The God of the sky, the God of the crops, the God of the animals, the God of the river. And God is saying, I am God over all of those. Those are not even real. I am the only God. And in Exodus chapter 11, God says, I'm done. We've had nine of these. All of them came in and you never gave up. Here's your final warning. Moses, go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And if he doesn't let you, you, the people go, then there is going to be a horrible thing happen to his country that he couldn't even dream. That he is going to, uh, it's going to cost. Because in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Listen, when you play with God, you've got to pay. So Pharaoh says, I don't believe in you. You are not the only God. You are not the one that I worship. And I'm not letting your people go. And God says, if that's what you want to do, then what's about to happen is I'm about to rip your nation in half. 
What he was going to do was he was going to take the firstborn from every house. Now I want you to just for a moment think about your family. In my family, that means that I would lose my son. In my family, that means I would lose my older sister. It would also mean that I would lose my mother. It also means that I would lose my uncle. It also means that I would lose cousins. I would lose neighbors. I would lose friends. Firstborn, all gone, wiped out in an instant. God was not playing games. He was going to prove that he is in control of all things. Now, here's the amazing thing, that even with the vengeance, even with the punishment that he was going to bring to Egypt, there was a point of redemption. He said, listen, I am going to save my people. And he gave some very detailed instructions to his people. He said, you need to go and you need to find a lamb. And not that little scrawny lamb, the, the one that's weak and sick and, you know, limps with three legs and drags the other one. Not, not that one. I want you to go and get the best lamb. And what was interesting was that, that God said, I want you to bring that lamb into your house. And I want you to protect it and I want you to care for it. And so for several days, this lamb is in the house. And if you've got kids or you've been around kids, you know when you bring a pet in, what happens? We begin to love it and begin to care for it. And so this lamb is in the house and the kids are feeding it and the kids are taking care of it and they're, they're uh, falling in love with it. But then there comes that time when God says, now it's time for the price to be paid. There must be bloodshed. And so the father of the house takes a knife and he begins to cut the throat of that lamb. Now, can you imagine what your children would do, dads, if you begin to do that? They would really begin to freak out. and why, why, Dad, why, why do we have to take the life of this lamb? Why, why do we have to kill it? And the father had the opportunity in that moment to begin to explain that the wages of sin is death, that there's a price that has to be paid for your sins and for mine. If you've ever been around an animal when it's killed, there's a lot of blood. So the blood had to be spilled and God said, I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it in a bowl and I want you to take a special branch and I want you to dip it in the blood and I want you to put that blood over your doorpost. And I want you to take the meat from the animal and I want you to roast it. It's very specific. I want you to roast it. I want you to prepare a meal and I want you to have the meat that you've roasted and I want you to have some bitter herbs and I want you to have some unleavened bread because we're about to go and you don't have time for the bread to rise. And so I want you to use some, some bread without yeast in it and I want you to have a meal and I want you to think about what I'm about to do is I'm about to save your life. I'm about to redeem you. I'm about to pay the price for your sins with the blood of this animal. And because of that sacrifice, then I'm going to save your firstborn. I'm going to save your family. And so the families followed those detailed instructions. And they took the life of the lamb. And they poured the blood out of the lamb. And they put that on the doorpost of their house. And God said this, I'm about to sweep through this land. And when I see the blood on the doorpost, then I'm going to pass over. I'm going to go to the next house. And the ones that have the blood on the doorpost, they will be saved. And the ones that don't have the blood on the doorpost, then it's going to cost them their firstborn. If you can imagine the tense spirit in the city, 
Egypt had been told what was going to happen, and yet they were rejecting the ways of God. God's people went through this process. They killed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost, and then they waited. And then the angel came, and it began to fly over the city. I don't know if you've ever been around death, but it's a very eerie thing. When life leaves a body and it's dead. And that began to happen all over the city. And if you can imagine in your mind as the angel went across the city and began to take the lives of those that didn't have blood on their door, that there was crying, there was wailing, there was tears and screaming and cries and anger. But you also need to know that the Pharaoh had children. So even in the house of the most powerful man in that region, he had death. In that moment, he realized, I am not God. He, he called for Moses. He said, get out. I don't want any more. Get out of my land. And just as God told him what happened, he said, get out Take whatever you want. Just get away from me. You have ripped from my heart the most precious thing, my firstborn. What does this mean for us? Do we need to go slaughter a lamb? No. Let me tell you why. This matters to us because you and I are sinners. The Bible says that we are all in need of forgiveness. It says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what needs to happen in your life and in mine is there needs to be a price that's paid. Romans 6 that I said earlier says that the wages of sin is death. That there is a price to be paid for the sin in your life. But you need to understand that the cross of Christ changed the whole picture. What, what used to have to be an animal that had to be slain for your sins and for mine and our families that we would have to sacrifice an animal, God said, listen, that's not good enough. And I need one ultimate good for all, good for the whole world sacrifice. I need that sacrificial lamb to spread, to, to, to spill his blood for the sins of the whole world. And he didn't go out and get some uh, limped up uh, problematic person person to do that, what he did was he said, I'm going to send my best, my one and only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross and to spill his blood for you and for me. If you begin to read the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, it says that we need the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 5 says that we have been justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 says that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this, listen, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Listen, you can be a good person. You can help people. You can live a good life and spend eternity in hell. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Doing good acts does not get you in good with God. What God wants from your life is for you to be a part of his spiritual family. The only way that you can do that is by giving your heart, giving your life to Jesus. So upon the picture of your life, you need to ask yourself, has the blood of Jesus been put on the doorpost of my heart? Has God given me the the gift of eternal life because I've given my life to him? Because listen, the families that didn't want to do the sacrifice didn't get the gift. And if you're not willing to give your heart to Jesus, you do not get the blood on, on the blood post of your on the doorpost of your house, of your heart. What God wants from you is to realize that without Jesus, I have no forgiveness of sins. I have no hope of eternal life. Now I want to be very frank with you this morning. I care about you. I, I don't know all of you. We're not buddies and pals and friends, but I love you enough to tell you this, that although our society and our world doesn't want to talk about this, hell is a very real place. And although the world doesn't want to talk about it, it is real. And without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go to a place called hell. Oh, but pastor, good people go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Hell is going to be filled with good people who did not give their heart to Jesus. Today, I want you to know that Jesus has a plan for you. And we don't have to slaughter a lamb because Jesus has poured out his blood for us. Jesus was our final sacrifice. And now we get the opportunity to accept the eternal gift, the the gift of eternal life, the, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace. And you can have that in your heart and in your life today. Here's what I believe. There's someone in this room who's never given their heart to Jesus. There's someone in this room who says, Pastor, you know, you're right. I do not have forgiveness of my sins. I I have never given my heart to Jesus. This is what I want you to know today. God doesn't care about where you've been. He cares about where you're going. Oh, but Pastor, you don't know the sins of my life. You, You don't know what goes on in my mind. You don't know the things that I have done. Listen, God knows, and Jesus paid the price. He spilled his blood for your sins. And so all you have to do is say, God, I can't do it on my own. Without your help, I have no hope. Today I give my heart and my life to you. If that's you today, let me just tell you something. God didn't bring you here. You didn't come here by accident. God brought you here on purpose so that you could hear that he loves you and that he wants you to be forgiven of your sins and have heaven when you die.